You're listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, where doctors, researchers, authors, nutritionists, and top health professionals share the latest news about staying well and living better. The information you hear today is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, but it's always timely, credible, interesting, and best of all, there's never a copay. Now, here's your host, health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. I am glad you are here. There is a very good chance that someone in your family is taking an inexpensive medication to prevent cardiovascular disease. Millions more Americans were prescribed these drugs, but for whatever reason, they just didn't fill the prescription or decided to ignore the doctor's advice. Well, we may change your mind today as we learn that statins seem to be able to play a role in preventing cancer. This hits close to home, as I am one of those people, prescribed statins, but then decided, well, I know better, and I stopped taking them. Talking with Donald McDonald, professor of molecular biology at the Duke University School of Medicine and the Duke Cancer Institute, changed my mind. He's researching new ways to treat and prevent hormonally active cancers, and also has developed several drugs to help fight breast cancer. So listen as this recognized expert says there's no doubt statins can do much more than lower cholesterol. Um, I'm very confident that they have a role in preventing cancer, and I'm even more confident that they improve outcomes in people who have established cancers. Oh, let's get into detail. I like all of that. So what cancers are affected by statins? Um, You know, I think a lot of your viewers will already accept that there's an epidemic of obesity in the country. It is estimated that between 30 and 40 percent of people are clinically obese. That means that they have more weight than is healthy. Um, And it has been shown also that there are several cancers where there is definitely an increase in getting those cancers or worse outcomes with those cancers if you are obese. Notably, I think everyone will say the data is rock solid for breast cancer, for uterine cancers, um, for colorectal cancers, for head and neck cancers. And they're the ones that have been have been looked at most. And I'll tell you maybe later on that I think it's going to expand beyond those cancers. So that's obesity, okay? Um, And I think that, you know, people can go blue in the face, uh, doctors or physicians can go blue and tell their patients to lose weight um, and that that's going to improve their chances of cancer. But I think what people want to know is they want some quantitation. They want some numbers. They want they want to know if I eat a healthy diet, if I maintain a healthy weight, if I maintain my cholesterol, my triglycerides, you know, how much am I going to improve my weight? And I'll tell you that for some cancers, it is pretty dramatic. I mean, 20 or 30 percent reduction in the incidence incidence of cancers. In fact, I just read one study that was published recently um, from a study that was done out in Singapore. We have another school, uh, Duke has another school in Singapore. And my colleagues out there were involved in the study where they actually looked at what is the impact of, you know, lowering cholesterol, lowering uh, on inpatients um, that have breast cancer, for instance. And I was blown away that in that very specific population of patients, it was a large study, there was a 40, 37%, let's be exact, 37% reduction um, or improvement in overall disease-free survival. Okay, so that's the background, Lee. So how do we get to cholesterol? 
So as I told you, um, obesity is linked to cancer. And about 10 years ago, a, a fellow in my lab, Dr. Eric Nelson, who's now got his own laboratory, University of Illinois, he had a hypothesis that there were that it was not necessarily obesity, fatness per se, but it was one of the sequelae of obesity. And in his 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 uh, one of the things associated with it, it was his idea that cholesterol, okay, uh, that itself was actually contributing to the pathobiology of the cancer. He established a very I'm not going to go through too much science. A lot of he did a lot of animal studies where he was able to manipulate cholesterol levels in animals and show unequivocally that cholesterol itself okay was causative for with respect to increasing risk of cancer and also cancer progression in these animals and he delved down further and this is important and he found that it that there was a derivative of cholesterol that all of our body every one of us makes and just in case there's any scientists out there it's called 27 hydroxycholesterol and it was that specific part of cholesterol, that, that metabolite, that was the causative or the driver of the cancer. Is statin's role to prevent cancer or prevent metastasis, the spread yeah. of cancer, so, or both? Yeah, or it's, it's all of the above. And I think that, I think that when we published our very first paper in science in 2013, it was on this, um, what we thought was it was only going to be, it was going to be primarily useful for patients who had um, locally invasive or invasive breast cancer. That, that was what we thought. Um, um, but now I think as we have delved further into it, um, we think that it's also going to be useful um, for the prevention of uh, breast cancers de novo. It is that one element that you just mentioned mm -hmm. that seems to be the trigger. Correct. What is that doing? How is that? How is that enabling cancer to to spread? That's or, a, or it's a that's a phenomenal question, and you know, and, and I can't tell you a funnel answer, but I'll tell you things. I'm going to tell you things that are rock solid and things that I think. The rock okay. solid thing is um, the. The 27-hydroxycholesterol, that molecule I told you about, is actually an estrogen. Okay. I don't think I need to convince any of your viewers that we know that estrogens, um, um, in a patient with cancer or at high risk for cancer, estrogens are bad. Okay. So that's, that's estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. So molecule, the cholesterol is, is converted to this molecule, binds to the estrogen receptor, and uh, then can drive the cancer. So is it common today that if I am in cancer treatment, am I prescribed statins? Yeah. So I think for, 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 you know, it's one of these things of the law of unintended consequences. Most women are menopausal anyway. Okay. And they experience when you, when you, when you um, cease producing ovarian estrogens, um, the estrogens are one of the primary suppressors of cholesterol production in the liver. Okay. So women invariably will see their cholesterol levels creep up in menopause. That's the first thing. But secondly, that's compoundedly by the fact that women who have estrogen receptor positive breast cancers or who are at high risk for estrogen receptor positive breast cancers are usually put on a, a, a drug called an aromatase inhibitor, which blocks the body's production of estrogens. And so what's going to happen? Their cholesterol goes up. And so for years, physicians have been prescribing statins as a, as a, 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 a way to mitigate the long-term impact of hypercholesteremia. Because remember, for most patients who have early-stage breast cancer, um, to be honest with you, they're going to get their tumor taken out, they're going to have five years of an adjuvant therapy, and they're never going to hear about breast cancer again. But they might hear about heart disease, 
And so you really yeah. need to suppress it. So, so as I said, the law of unintended consequences, the statin wasn't put into these therapeutic regimens to be therapeutic uh, with respect to the cancer, but really to mitigate a sequelae of um, estrogen deprivation. So does it matter what statin yeah. I'm taking, Lipitor, Zocor, Crestor, or any yeah. other, does it matter? I would say at this particular point in time, um, I'm not really to put a, st- a stake in the ground. You know, I, I vacillate sometimes, um, but the bottom line is the, the data is the solid, the, sorry, what data is solid is anything that lowers your LDL cholesterol is going to have this beneficial effects. And in fact, I will tell you then, and you've asked a great question, one of the aims in one of my recent uh, grant applications was to actually ask, is there a benefit to Hydro, what's called a hydrophilic statin or a hydrophobic, one that acts at the, at the level only of the liver or one that acts more systemically. And, and I think that's, that's an important thing to address. Intuitively, I think that it's probably going to be, I don't know, a hydrophobic statin, intuitive. That's just intuitive, okay? Because that statin can get out and go around the body and, and basically might be able to actually mitigate cholesterol production within the cancer cell itself. But I don't really have any data for that. And what would, which of those would be a hydrophobic statin? Resurvastatin, okay. Crestor. Did you get that? Let me repeat it. He believes Crestor and its generic form, Rosuvastatin, have anti-cancer properties. Does that mean if you are taking Lipitor, Zocor, or another statin, you should switch? Well, cancer researcher Donald McDonald said it's not his place to give medical advice, so talk with your doctor. You can't blame cost as a reason not to take these powerful medications. Generics are available for as little as $5 a month. When we come back, statins, can they protect you from colon or prostate cancer? And why this cancer researcher says the future looks very bright indeed for women facing breast cancer. I hope you can stay tuned, but if you're busy and you got to run, an extended video version of today's interview is available on the Health Call website. Visit us at healthcall.live. We are back in a flash with more of the Health Call Radio Hour. You're listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, your regular weekend appointment with top healthcare professionals, where every session is painless and we never keep you waiting. Now back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. If you're just joining us, today we are digging into the connection between statins and cancer. Duke University cancer researcher Donald McDonald just told us there is plenty of evidence that not only do statins reduce cholesterol, that means they also help prevent cancer from forming and even keep it from spreading. Now, cholesterol is vital to our body. It's not evil. It's a building block for cell membranes, insulation for our nerves, and bile that dissolves fat much more as well. McDonald says a specific derivative of cholesterol does seem to help spark the development of cancer. And cancer cells need cholesterol to grow. So excess cholesterol, that's the problem. Although McDonald specializes in breast cancer, he says there's also evidence statins protect you from other cancers as well. The link between obesity and colon cancer is definite but complex. 
Okay. Some of it has to do with the fact that if you're eating diets that are, you know, um, high in fat and tend to be high calorific, you're probably not eating a healthy diet, which in and of itself is dangerous in, in colon cancer. But whether or not cholesterol itself has a specific role in colon cancer, um, we haven't, we, we, my group has not looked at, and to my knowledge, other people haven't. But you know something, you know, you raising that question um, um, wants me to go out to the lab today and ask the students, anyone interested in looking at that? <laughs> And, and prostate, uh, prostate cancer yeah, prostate is cancer another is the same thing. Yeah, I, I, I really believe it's the same thing. So it turns out that uh, you know it, it turns out that others um, have actually shown that cholesterol itself. There was a group in Harvard several years ago published a very interesting study showing that cholesterol itself increases um, the risk of actually it, it, it worsens the disease free survival in prostate cancer. Um, but again, did they ever, they never really linked it to twenty seven HC. Again, I think you've just come up with another project for me. I'm one of those guys who was prescribed statins, and I stepped away. I'm one of those, you know, millions of people who yeah. said, oh, "I don't think this is for me. I'm going yeah. to try to to manage otherwise." You know what? I you've convinced me. I'm I'm calling my doc. I once listened to a very famous physician say that we would be better off, from a public health point of view, taking fluoride out of water and putting statins in. Now I know it's flippant, okay, um, yeah. but but you know if you look at it, the risk benefit again. I'm emphasizing because I, I I want your listeners to know I'm giving the opinion of a pharmacologist and not a physician. Right. If you look at the risk benefit ratio, there are risks. There's risks with every every statin, every drug you take, okay. But the 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 benefits. Are, are overwhelmingly positive. Look at, just think, cardiovascular. We all think about cardiovascular disease. But are many of your listeners, and I never think about stroke. I mean, statins reduce the incidence of stroke, okay? Because they, they because one of the primary causes, one of the, you know, of a, a stroke is blockage of the carotid arteries, which, you know, atheromas build up. That's the second one. Okay, but put that on the tick as a positive. You never hear people talking about bone. Okay, statins also have a protective effect on bone. So there's another one, tick. And now I'm adding to this um, it, it, that, it, it, that, that there's compelling data, both biochemical data, research in animals, and now research in the big animals, humans, that shows that statins can actually reduce the incidence of breast cancer. And I think that data is getting stronger and stronger as the number of patients uh, increases that we've looked at and followed. And also, which I think is very important because I, I develop treatments for breast cancer, is that it seems to improve the outcomes in patients who are diagnosed with cancer. So remember, cholesterol is a building block that's required for all cancer cells. Cancer cells actually contain about two times more cholesterol than the normal cell. They, they are avid consumers or users of cholesterol. So it just makes into this sense. So we're starving the cancer cell of a, of a key nutrient. Yeah. They can make, and so that's it. So they can adapt and try and make it themselves. But if you have a statin on board, they can't, right? Because the process for making, you, you've interrupted the process for making uh, the statin. Because you are so closely associated with cancer, breast cancer research, tell me what has really got you on fire, you're, you're hot about it. What's the next new thing that's coming that we can be excited about? Oh, I'm, I'm incredibly excited as a breast cancer researcher. I started in this field um, in 1983. I started doing my PhD at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. And that was the time when we didn't even have, we didn't even know the uh, different types of breast cancer. You, you had breast cancer or you didn't have it. Now, what we've been able to do is been able to divide breast cancer into roughly five, five, sorry, let's say three, three usable categories of breast cancer. 
There's estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, which is about 70 to 75%. There is HER2 positive, which is about 15%. And the remainder then is what's called triple negative. So let's go very, very briefly through these. Estrogen receptor positive breast cancers. If you're a 50, you know, if you're a woman who's diagnosed with an early stage estrogen receptor positive breast tumor, the most likely course of treatment for you now is you'll get a lumpectomy. You may or may not get some radiation. You may or may not get some chemotherapy, depending on how big or small or other things your tumor is. You'll be put on five years of what's called endocrine therapy, which is either an, mostly likely an aromatase inhibitor or tamoxifen. And most likely, you will never hear that word again. Breast cancer. You never hear breast cancer again. That, to me, is earth-shattering. In, let's just also just mention, in this category of drug in patients who unfortunately were not fortunate enough to be diagnosed with local uh, disease or locally invasive who had metastatic disease um, obviously their their outcomes are you know still good but not as good okay um, and one of the things we found now is that endocrine therapy of course works for those and then they fail and so the biggest discovery i think is a class of drugs called the cdk46 inhibitors okay there are three of them they have all shown to dramatically, dramatically change um, and the landscape in estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. And then probably one of the proudest moments of my career is that my group, my group um, um, identified a drug called Elicestrant. Um, it was a drug that was actually originally identified as a treatment for hot flashes. Didn't work. And one of my bright trainees, Suzanne Wardell, and, and Eric Nelson, the guy I told you from Illinois, discovered that this actually would be a phenomenal breast cancer drug. And we convinced um, Radius Health, who owned the drug, to actually develop it for breast cancer. It wasn't an easy convincing, but we did. And it was approved in January of this year. HER2 positive breast cancer. I think that we can start using the word, a doctor can start saying to a patient, I can cure your cancer, not treat your cancer. But the thing that changed the landscape there um, was the discovery of a drug called Herceptin. There are people who are, I, I personally know people who have been living for you know, 15 years um, uh, with metastatic disease who are on, on Herceptin. And then triple negative breast cancer. That's the one where a lot of the efforts in my group and others are focusing. These, I know it's only 10 or 15%, but it's usually the disease that is most prevalent in young women and also in African women of African-American descent. Highly aggressive. Unbelievably, unbelievably yeah. aggressive. But even here, there is some hope. And in fact, about 20% of patients who present with TNBC um, are treatable with immunotherapy. The big, I think, you know, the next big frontier. And in fact, I'm so pumped about immunotherapy that um, over 50% of the research in my group has shifted to asking, how can I get the immune system to help me target these cancers? Not only the triple negative, and not only uh, breast cancer, but others. But um, And we have some phenomenally compelling data. We just published some recently on melanoma, which we didn't expect. Let me add a little detail to explain why he's so excited about the immune system. Recent studies show a vaccine that trains your immune system to recognize and attack melanoma actually cuts the recurrence of this deadly skin cancer by a whopping 44%. There is big progress being made in immunotherapy against many forms of cancer, but I have to tell you what excites me most are discoveries that prevent cancer. And as I said, that's why I'm going to reach out to my doctor and have a conversation about adding statins to my medicine cabinet. 
If someone you know needs to hear this conversation with Donald McDonald from Duke University, shoot them a link to the podcast of today's broadcast. It's available on all the major services. And remember, a video version of our interview is on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. While you're at the website, drop your email to join our mailing list, and I'll send you one message a week with a preview of what's coming up on the broadcast. All right, we have much more ahead, so I hope you will take us along wherever your busy day takes you. The Health Call Radio Hour continues in just a moment. Podcasts by Federated Media.